been hinting, pondering, and predicting it all year, but Josie Altidore has officially left your Toronto FC. We'll talk about his legacy, impact, and plenty more on this week's edition of Waking the Red Weekly, presented by Footy Talks. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and ahead on the show, we'll also heavily overanalyze a preseason friendly, talk about both <laughs> national teams, and plenty, plenty more. Uh, if you're watching the show live, you may have also noticed another face here on the screen, that of TorontoFC.ca writer James Grossi, who will be joining us all show for something of a preseason roundtable edition uh, when you have access to the wisdom of someone like mm-hmm. James you don't rush it you take as much of it as possible and also I didn't feel like talking as much on this week's show so, uh, <laughs> we've got James on here to, to do some of that but uh, let's give a less glamorous intro as well to the regulars Jeffrey Pinesker Michael Singh what's up boys well, some less grand, uh, yeah less glamorous uh, uh, cue to speak after you cue me so here, <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah a lot I think I'm Mitch, like in the rent before you uh, sent us the rundown, you were saying, you know, we were struggling to kind of come up with, with things to talk about. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> this rundown's populated because there's a lot to dive into with this new Toronto FC, let's call it this new regime here at the club. And we got our first glimpse of it over the weekend and liked what I saw. But let's uh, I'll throw it back to you because I know we have some more pressing stuff to talk to before we dive into that preseason game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be fair, um, I mean, given how much we've stuffed into the past couple of shows, I think it was mainly that there wasn't like there wasn't things I was deleting from the show rundown like I usually am because we wouldn't have time to talk about them. But yeah, I mean, true enough, the Altador leaving Toronto FC, it's a, it's official. Um, I mean, as I've said, it's a, it's a little bit of a complicated one to to delve into on this show because it feels like we've been eulogizing him since the start of the season when uh, Greg Berhalter came out and said he might be leaving the club, and then you know I think. I think we all could have seen this coming, but uh, officially official, the club uh, revealing they've used their off-season buyout on him. Josie posting a good buy on Instagram, and now he's off to do 17 rounds with the Turf Monster at Gillette Stadium. So uh, <laughs> we'll go to you. Uh, we'll go to you first, James, because uh, we haven't gotten your thoughts as, as much as you know. Certainly the the Jeffrey and, and Michael thoughts on this for <laughs> the weeks and past episodes. So um, what 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 do you make of of all this and Josie's lasting legs here on Toronto? Yeah, I mean, it's been a real saga for TFC this past almost two years, sort of what the future would hold for Altidore. And it's been one that's that's been really tricky to cover. You know, there's been a lot of sort of chatter in the background and a lot of half explanations for things that have gone on. You know, I never really bought the whole Chris Armas was given the power to, to keep a guy like Josie Altidore out of the starting lineup. It felt like there was more to that than a, a coach and player disagreement. And, you know, 18 months later, 24 months later, however it is, we, we sort of get the end of, of Josie's time in Toronto. And, you know, just looking at the socials and everything like that, seeing everybody sharing their memories of, of their time with Josie. You know, I can talk a bit more about, about how I'm going to remember him and, and how I viewed his time, if you guys like. But it's, uh, I guess, I guess in, in professional sports, things always come to an end. And you'd hope that that there's a good end rather than a bad end and this is just sort of a fizzle out rather than the the proper goodbye we would all like to see Josie's time with Toronto come to and you know I'm sure when uh when New England comes to town there'll be a way to to say thank you to Josie for a lot of the fans and and uh but uh you know the the saga's finally over I guess we'll find out you know in the in the months and years and decades ahead a bit more about what actually happened behind the scenes but uh you know, I wish him luck in, in New England. And yeah, that turf is a bit of a question mark and how that's all going to play out. But, you know, a lot of people have been saying that, the, you know, this might be his way back into the U.S. team and, and onto the plane to Qatar. So, you know, who knows? The 
one part of the story ends and, and another one begins. Did you guys see uh, uh, the New England uh, socials tweet this morning? I know you did, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a violation. I'm sorry, guys. That's uh, that's a shot across the bow. I I am so I'm I'm blinded. Jeff, you're getting with trolled. Pardon? You're getting trolled. It worked. That's fine. Did that's it fine. It, it it it. I mean, that's cool. If 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 all bets are off and we can we can start trolling, then, uh, they didn't know what they're getting into. That's all I have to say. Um, next time, finish finish his victory speech because it did end with "I'm TFC until I die." That's all I have to say about that. Um, before we get in, and I do I do want to hear your your I don't know if I want to call it a eulogy, but your countenance of 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 how you feel about Josmer. But I got to bring up because I've been getting DMs like crazy over the last little while, and um, uh, we need to make this make sense. So. You know, the wording coming out of New England camp uh, is obviously, you know, they're getting a deal on Josie because TFC is footing his salary for the next two years. I think that's a careful use of language in order to paint them as kind of the victors in this situation. Because I've heard uh, in the complete opposite that the buyout isn't actually a lump sum. And it's like, you know, maybe a layaway plan kind of thing. So TFC paid $1.2 million of the four, for example, that they owed him now and they're paying the rest of it. Uh, incrementally over years. So it can be worded by New England Revolution that they're getting a deal on his salary, but I'm getting a lot of angry TFC fans going, well, what's why call it a buyout if if he's on our books for the next two years? So I guess I guess I'm asking for the sake of TFC Live for some clarity here because it, it seems to be a war of the words between two two admins, right? Like, you know, and 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 people are getting upset. Jeff, you're asking for clarity on MLS salary stuff. I'm <laughs> no, nobody's saying this has to be definitive, but can we at least come to some kind of a consensus here's here? Say, here's all that. So I do want to, before we get into that, what I want to mention is um, some some wild reporting, uh, which I mean, no reason to doubt them. They're the goats of, of MLS when it comes to reporting. Oh, the, and yeah, yeah. I want to talk about uh, Jeff Carlisle and his kind of breakdown of sort of what happened here. Very, very well. Very, very so. He was reporting for a while now that Josie Altador was under contract and through 2023, through next season. And that caught me by surprise because I took a look at the press release when he signed his extension and very verbatim, it said a three-year contract extension for Josie Altador through 2022. So somewhere along the line, there was a there was a an option that was exercised by either Altador or the club. Um, and then a big bombshell dropped this th- yesterday was by Sam Stayskal, who said Josie Altador's one of his uh, contract options was exercised by the club apparently after the Chris Armis incident happened. Yep. So Josie Altador was apparently ex- his, his contract option in some way got exercised for an additional year after that whole spout with with Chris Armas. So yeah, kind of James, as, as you kind of predicted, there's perhaps a lot more going on behind the scenes that, that we're actually privy to. But that's a that's a that's something that costs MLSC an extra two million perhaps in, in this total buyout. <laughs> so yeah, I mean buyouts in sports, Jeff, is circling back to your question. Mm-hmm. It's not always just that you get your lump sum and, and you're 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 here. We're we're done with you. It's mm-hmm. more so like for example, in hockey or basketball, you get a prorated amount 
through mm-hmm. let's say four or five years that yeah. actually does count against uh, their their salary caps i think it's different in mls there but it's not uncommon for for teams to pay the the the, the amount of your contract for uh, x amount of years or whatever so Maybe that helps answer your question a little bit better. Do you, but... do you think it's disingenuous then for 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 the admit New England Revolution to start sprouting this nonsense that we're paying? I'm not, his, I'm not his losing salary? sleep over it. Like, who cares? <laughs> to be honest with you, like, sure, it, sure. I mean, again, money, right? No, 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 no. I mean, I I, I don't want to belittle it by saying who cares because I've, there's been way too many DMs in my inbox with people that care very, very, very much. <laughs> And and you know I I went into blinding rage off the top because the the wording made it seem you know not only had we suffered through two years or more than two years of this ongoing drama will he or won't he but at the end of the day we're also you know paying him to play somewhere else which is sort of what was communicated there and and I don't think that was that was uh, on the level I think it was very disingenuous and and I take umbrage with it. I think it's it's a little bit of framing on the part of New England where they're saying he's a Max Tan player, but he's actually a, a fourth of course. or whatever yeah. it is that yeah. they want to make it look like. So there's there's everything is optics in a lot of this stuff, and you know it's social media. So half of the point of putting that tweet out was to to get a reaction from us. So mission accomplished. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love how yeah. Mike. Mike goes. They're trolling. They're trolling you, Jeff. And Jeff proceeds to have a three-minute rant on. <laughs> all the they ain't way gonna there. like me trolling them. Yeah. Let me just let me just tell you, I got some things well, in the chamber. They ain't gonna like it. So, well, look. The yeah. end of the day, Josie Altador is not on Toronto FC anymore. He's not on Toronto FC's books when it comes to the salary budget. He's gonna be playing the next three years for the New England Revolution, and that's all TFC fans really need to. I guess, analyze here, because if you're going to go down Fair. and analyze the ins and outs of what an MLS contract looks like, good luck. Cause that's something I haven't even been able to wrap my head around or most people covering this league haven't been able to wrap their heads. I mean, around, why, so. why choose the word buyout? It's such, it's such a definitive bit of English to communicate something that is absolutely undefinitive. It makes it's, it's, it boggles the mind. Like, you know, that's, there are a lot of more called, man, <laughs> but let's, uh, let's again, mm. like the semantics that we're arguing here and, I think overall, Josie Alter's legacy, was this the right time? Uh, as we talked about it, I think from a Toronto FC perspective, it had to be, especially mm. with the direction that this club is heading now and and the rebuilding process that's going on under Bob Bradley, which we we finally got a glimpse of over the weekend, as I, as I touched on there. And if we want to segue into there first, Mitch, is there anywhere else you want to go before we do that? I well, want to hear uh, James's postscript on on Josie and, and what he meant. Oh yeah, James. beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know when I when I think of what Josie's importance has been to this team, I, I always sort of go to something that Michael Bradley said, and, and I can't remember exactly when he said this. I think it was right around the time that Josie first came to the club. Uh, you know, we can debate. You know, when a match really starts. You know, does the next game start? right after the last one finishes or does it start when you start the tactical video or, or does it start when you know the players on other teams are texting each other getting ready for it or or does it start when the whistle blows but you know for me the actual contest of the day sort of starts when the players are lined up in the tunnels and we all know how how active that tfc tunnel can be and what michael said was that when he was standing there getting ready for those 90 minutes there was no man that he wanted to have standing beside him more than josie out 
Wow. And Josie just sort of had this presence. And and when the other team knew that Josie was out there for TFC, it made more space for other people. The other teams had to prepare for him. He was just such a such a massive presence for this group. And we, we all know the big moments where he stepped up for this team and he produced. But that that ability that he had to make the team to make the team better than than it would have been without him in there. And and that presence, I think, was something that we saw in the last 18 months was just as big when it wasn't there as when it was. Yep. You know, when we look at that team defensively last year, there was a massive hole up at the top of the pitch where Josie Alcador was supposed to be. And, and how many times did we see the team clear the ball up to where Josie would have been for a couple of seconds <laughs> yep. Yep. to have it come right back down their throats and end up in the back of the net. And so, mm-hmm. you know, this was a saga that, that they needed to find some sort of resolution to. And, and I think as much as, as much as he, he was the cause of a lot of the good moments for this team, I, I think on the back end, as this, as this unwound, he was part of the problem and that's why yep. it had to sort of come to some solution. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that if he's going to be a TAM player, there wasn't some way that he could be a TAM player in Toronto. But, I mean, I guess that just sort of speaks to how much those relationships have broken down and, yeah, and how much yeah. stuff we, we don't really know about everything that's been going on. But so, you know, when I look at Josie's time here, I'm always going to remember those two things of how big he was in his presence and how big he was in his absence. And, you know, I sort of view, I sort of view the, job, the job that we do here as – as you know, taking those couple of moments that we get with the guys to to get to know them and, and to get to show fans a little bit of what they're about. And, and Josie was a difficult guy to cover. It's got to be said. You know? mm. I think uh, in all my years covering this team, there are very few players that I'd never got a chance to do a one-on-one with. And Josie was one wow. of those guys. And he had the tendency to be available when, when he had something that he wanted to put out there. And otherwise, he wasn't. And I think, you know, seeing everybody putting up their personal moments of Josie was because he didn't he didn't need us to do that. He found ways in big moments and in small moments to connect with people outside Absolutely. of the of the control that, that we have over those moments. And so, you know, how I remember Josie doesn't doesn't really matter because there's so many people that love this club <laughs> that have their own little moments for, for what that guy meant to them and you know, when you look at the Mount Rushmore of TFC, you'd be pretty hard placed to, to not see Josie's face on it. So, you know, yeah. I'm going to remember the goal against Vancouver and that epic photo behind the, the net. I'm going to remember the MLS Cups. I'm going to remember, you know, playing on broken ankles and, and all that sort of stuff. And yep. I think that's the way you should be remembered. Yep, yep. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny because in film, uh, in the art world, we take a totally opposite tack, you know, because it's good copy to say that Billy Wilder wrote Lost Weekend in a weekend in a hotel room, right? But if you thought about it for two years before we rented that hotel room, then it actually took him two years and a weekend to write it, right? So, so it's just interesting that perspective. I have a question for you. So, what happens? I mean, we're, all, you know, we, we all love Josmer, so let's qualify it with that. But, you know, at the same, in the same token, it's not mutually exclusive to also say that him going to play fifty percent of his games on turf is patently insane. So, what happens if he succeeds despite all of this at New England? Is it is it an indictment on our sports science staff, or is it just simply Josie pulling another Josie and you know change of place, change of scenery, getting rid of all that bad juju does wonders. Is that for Nobody me? Nobody wants to take it. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm opening up for the, to the floor. 
It's roundtable styles, guys. I don't know, man. Like what happened before has some impact on what happens after, but they're almost they're almost exclusive situations. Like maybe the okay. fact that Josie's played so little over the last eighteen months is what opens the window to him finding, you know, a way to revitalize himself here. So there's 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 no real way. We'll we'll see. You know that turf has a uh, has a pretty torrid history when it comes to <laughs> it's it's the worst and playing it, surface in all world soccer i think so it, it so. is i think they've updated it since danny Cooperman's did his knee on it back in <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah it might be it might be a little bit better these days and, and bruce arena is a he's a sharp guy you know he's he's uh he knows this league he knows how to manage things like i remember him he would refuse to send his starters across the country to play a midweek U.S. Open Cup game because that wasn't important to him. So does Josie, is he exclusively a guy that plays on the road when the pitch is nice? Like, maybe. Maybe that's the play that they're going for. Yeah. And like, you never know. Every coach needs to find a way to, to best use their assets. And, and I think with Bruce, they've got a they've got a guy who knows Josie and knows what he's capable of and, and also has the fortitude to make a decision that might be a little bit less popular than, than some other coaches might yeah, and, and there's truth to that. He's not coming in as a DP. He's coming in as Tam, and that has a totally different expectation. Whether he's bought into that or not is, you know, no one knows except for Josie. But but certainly he's not expected to be the guy on a Tam contract. Um, you know, it's just it's just mind-boggling because we've heard it all before. You know, we've heard it like, well, just give him a couple, pl- a couple more minutes playing time, and he's right back in that number nine spot for the U.S. men's national team. Like, we've suffered through all of this coulda shoulda woulda for for a bunch of years now um so it's just funny to see the the enthusiasm coming from from another fan base and try not to you know to just get up on our soapbox and say uh-huh bless you bless you all we, we hope it works out for you um jeff's really bitter about this <laughs> no, 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 no 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 i just i mean i i don't like careful language i don't like disingenuous <laughs> um uh, uh attempts to rewrite and own a narrative um and i find the i find the optimism kind of cute uh may, I, I maybe i'm maybe i'm proven wrong that's, that's but, like every every organization does this like think about the toronto fc press release did they ever mention in their original press release with josie elsewhere's extension that there was an option in there that could be exercised <laughs> i'm glad they didn't because there would have been riots in the streets but um, yeah little things that you, you don't even mm-hmm. notice that are that are optics. It's just the way the, the world works. Yeah. In the organization let let works, me, but... let me preface by, or let me, let me again, outline that I'm entirely hypocritical here and you can tear my <laughs> argument apart in two seconds. I'm just, I'm speaking from, a, from a place of emotion. So I, I welcome anybody ripping it apart, um, but this is just, this is just me unfiltered. So yeah, let's put a bow yeah. on this. I think. One, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's one thing that, uh, that you mentioned there and that was Josie's presence. And I, I think back to, when he came on against Orlando City, after his first game back after the, the Chris Armis spat, as, as we refer to it now, and you, you talk about presence. When Josie yeah. Alterts, number 17, got shown on the, the sideline there, oh, it was like spots. getting a 12th man on the field in yeah, addition to Josie Alter. And then he went on to, to score that goal. And I vividly remember sitting in the press box, and I won't say a name, but someone who... Uh, was perhaps affiliated with the club gets up and, and yells, "Josie, Josie!" <laughs> that was kind of the vibe that he brought in terms of everyone wanted to see what Josie Alter did, and and everyone knows what he meant to the club. And 
his his legacy will it be tarnished? I not I don't think so. I think at the end of the day, the fans are gonna remember what you said, James, and that's the big moments and what he did for this club. And now is the the right time, if if not a couple of years ago, for them to to kind of go their separate ways. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's putting a bow in it. My end, Mitch. Anything else you want to say to wrap up that that Josie segment? I'm glad we got another Eric Giacometti story in there before we. Uh, no, I, I thought it, I thought I thought you were talking about James Grossi. I think uh, yeah, I think you touched on something there, which is just I mean, look, it's not the Hollywood ending. No, no Hollywood superstar gets bought out at the end of their time with the, with the club. Like, that's, not, that's not how the ending goes. Yeah. Yeah, they could have been so much worse. Like there were so many moments between like conflict between the club and players, injuries, that kind of thing. At least we got a bit of a swan song with Josie where that moment at BMO, uh, even him ending CF Montreal's playoff. Yeah. yeah. Like there were some beautiful moments at the end there that make it less sour now that he's leaving. So I I do think uh, I do think it was good that at at minimum he got a, a bit of a better ending than you know, the way things could have gone considering True how the enough. last few years, uh, True enough. and Josie Altador have, have played out. But from, from one move that I think we all predicted to hold on one, one last play. question. If he scores against us at BMO, do you think he <laughs> celebrates? Um, at BMO, mm-hmm. I think, I think he, I don't know. I don't. I don't really go in for this. Don't celebrate against your former club. Yeah, yeah. Goals. No, goals no. I, goals, I, you know, it's yeah. It's a bit disingenuous, but I think it's done respectfully. If cool. It's possible. I think it's sort of like the, the the raised arm, the sort of like understated celebration if it happens, and we all know it's going to happen because that's what happens when former TFC players. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think he scores and then just stares straight up into the Toronto FC. Like press box and like look what you did. <laughs> oh man, that's gonna suck. Anyway, let's move on to more suck. Uh Mitch, you want to cue us up? Well, yeah. Um Aro Jr. leaving Toronto FC as well. Um there's a there's a move that I think we didn't expect as much. Um Mike, you wanna you wanna take this one? Because Jeff and I tried to Tried to dissect it last week on the, the show and didn't come up with much, to be honest, in terms of why this makes sense. So um, sure. why does it? So if you're trying to assess this from a tactical perspective or a footballing perspective, you're going to find yourself scratching your head. Because as we all know, Toronto FC don't have any natural right backs on their roster. After the departure of Richie Larea, um, you know, everyone thought Aro was a shoo-in to come back. And I actually heard Aro was perhaps going to leave the club at the start of the, at the start of preseason or start of the off season. Hmm. Um, and then after Richie's move came to fruition, I was just like, yeah, no way that's going to happen. And what I'll, what I'll say here is when you look at, at last season and everything that Toronto FC has kind of gone through the last couple of years, it's, there's a, there's a lot of management that comes with it um, with, with those relationships and, and these guys are human, right? We, we often forget that they have a lot of personal stuff that they go through and, and all of that. And last year, Bill Manning came out and said that the, the club lost its culture, lost mm-hmm. its identity. And it started really at the BMO, BMO training grounds. And I'll say this here, Aro could have been pro- part of that problem. And, 
there's a lot of guys on the team last year who is no longer here is no longer going to be here that kind of formed a, a little a little group there is what i'm told and there was a line drawn in the sand by bob bradley this year in the toronto city's regime and i know he has that tattoos i know he loves the city but i'm i'm told that aro picked his side and i mean how is that cryptic nathan <laughs> like <laughs> it's like the least cryptic mike's been in a long time uh, it, it's fine <laughs> um so mm. there that that's pretty much how i'll phrase it there is aro kind of picked his side uh when it came down to it and this tfc team is, has shown no reservations about getting rid of someone no matter how established no matter how good no matter how important you may seem to the actual footballing squad, if you're not a fit culturally with this team in the direction that it wants to head, they have no problem turning the page and and moving you on. So, Aro, at least uh, you love to see like what he 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 did for the club, and he's a great player, and you love his commitment to this country and to the game. But if you're not committed to 2022 Toronto FC as as much as you perhaps should be, um, Again, the team has no problem kind of turning the page there on you. And I think that's exactly what transpired here. Yeah, there. James, your your thoughts on uh on the situation as a whole. Um yeah, I think that that a lot of that is news to me and, and I can sort of see that. You know, Bob alluded to to some players' hearts not being in it in, in a bit of a cryptic phrase of his own when he was asked about some of these departures and and Aro, I could sort of see how he could fall in that category. He was always a bit of an aloof guy. He was always a guy that sort of marched to his own beat and sort of was off to the side, doing his own thing in his own sort of way. Um, I do think that, that, you know, on the field, I can see one way that it makes sense. Like, yeah, of course, you're, you're losing one of your more, more reliable defenders, you know, a guy that's going to be a 7 out of 10 every game and, and it isn't going to cause you problems on the field. But Aro was never really that all-out attacking fullback. And, you know, whether yep. that was his instruction or whether that's what he's capable of, we, we don't really know. But, you know, we see Jaquiel Marshall-Ruddy and we see Jacob Schaffelberg pulling up those positions. And Bob clearly wants something very different from there than, than Greg Vanny wanted in that possession interplay-based fullback that, that Aro was when he first came in. So yep. I sort of see a way that, that you know, you're, you're taking a risk by – by putting in guys who who don't have a ton of experience and, and replacing a guy who was a pretty solid piece for you there, but if it's a if that jives more with what it is that you want to see this team doing, then then maybe he was expendable on the pitch as well as off it. You know. Yeah, that's my that's my point exactly. That. Well, let's let's move on then to the first glimpse we got of the new Toronto FC and. Uh, again, a billion asterisks and qualifiers here because, first of all, I mean there was no numbers on the back of the jersey, so that tells that was you that, awesome. That tells you that what was... this game uh, is is about level wise. I mean it's preseason. Um, both teams making a billion subs, testing out their their full roster. Um, but I think we can still at least partially analyze some of the things we've seen in terms of you know what Toronto FC might look like a little bit tactically this season. Some new roles, some of the players have been playing. Um, Toronto FC, of course, getting a 1-0 win in that match against the Chicago Fire. The 
traditional lightning delay. Everything was uh, everything worked <laughs> out worked out great for for yep. Toronto seeing this matchup. Um, I guess we'll just get general thoughts right away. There's a, there's a number of ways we could go with this, but uh, yeah, we'll just uh, we'll start with you, Jeff. What were your what were your thoughts from this match, and what stood out to you? Damn, we look good, fellas. We look pretty good out there. I mean, my 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 general thought is I am all in on our new converted attacking, modern attacking fullbacks. Um, you know, you've been singing JMR's praises for a while, Mitch. And, and last week you were talking about how excited you were to see him sort of slot into that attacking fullback role. Man alive, did he look good out there. I, I you know, Schaff uh, was a little bit more anonymous. Uh, than we're used to seeing him, but he was sort of like playing all kinds of roles in that in that messed up Yavi system last season near the end of it. So it was nice seeing him given a bit more uh, responsibility. But these guys are pace merchants; like it's it's crazy. So you know the fact that that we can work that we can start a transition attack that quickly um, with guys that are that comfortable on the ball that far back in our defensive half is pretty exciting. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I don't want to steal everybody's points, but, but that, that, that I'll open with that. I was really, it was really exciting to see uh, those, those guys in their new positions. And we've talked a lot in the past about Toronto FC just being too slow. Like in, yeah. in general, everything moved too slow. The, the players were too slow. Um, this injection of, of speed and, and I guess north south um, to, or a hockey term uh, ability <laughs> is, is so needed for, for this club. So, um, yeah, we certainly saw that, that verticality um, within this game. James, we'll go to you next. I like those collars on those kits, man. You don't see enough, <laughs> enough shirts with four collars like that. Man. Wait, yeah. are you sure you're not Jeff? I didn't send that back to Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know what those were, but I quite enjoyed that. Um, you know, the no numbers was a bit weird. I felt for the announcer. He seemed to be oh, man. a little bit with some of it, but I can't imagine, you know, if Chicago didn't have numbers, they had no numbers, idea. Couldn't tell who yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't fault him for that. And, you know, aside from the hail and the wind, I, I liked what I saw, you know. Um, I know we'll touch a little bit further on a couple of the individual guys, so I'll just keep it general. But, I mean, like, that goal, you know, something, and I hate going back to Greg Vanny all the time, but it's such a frame of reference for, for so much when I talk about this team. But mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that Greg that Greg wanted wanted to develop with this group was was goals that were intentional, you know, not goals, not goals that came from a bit of magic from somebody, not goals that came because the other team made a mistake, but goals that mm. were created because you went out there and intentionally created a situation that led to the goal. And I, I think that Toronto FC goal, pause, dishing it off to Nelson. Nelson finding Schaffelberg attacking the box. Cut back into the middle. I don't know how intentional pause's touch was towards Jimenez there, but <laughs> but that that idea of you find that space, you attack, you prod, and you put the ball into a dangerous area. Like that's That's got to be exactly what Bob has been instructing the team to do these past couple weeks. We've seen a couple of them from the little, you know, grainy clips that we get from other games. You know, the Achara ball to Perutza was a bit of a similar motif yep. if you want, but I thought that was uh that was good, especially, you know, it's it's weird to say we're both early in preseason and a week and a half away from the opening game of the season, but that's <laughs> that's kind of how things are going this year. Um there was a, a fair bit of defensive vulnerability that I think is natural. I think that's a, a function of those two young fullbacks that we saw. You know, Alex Bono had to come up with that double save and then the trickler off the post and Greg Ranjitsin came up twice in the second half. What a game. Pretty big save. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and I think, you know, looking at the biggest picture, you know, Bob has been very, he's been very low to use the word pressing because I think we all jumped on top of it so much when Chris Armas came in that it's sort of like a, a forbidden word now in TSB. We saw a little bit of that active defense where, where TFC were able to pounce and react when they turned the ball over and regain position, you know, return over the ball in really dangerous spots. And I think that's, some, you know, we saw Michael Bradley pushed up at the edge of the other team's box trying to force turnovers. And it was craziness. Risky, yeah, risky. so risky. <laughs> and we, we saw some of that, but uh, I mm. think that's just a hint of, of where this team is sort of going. We've talked Can I about- interject for one second just before I forget? Um, this rumor of Bob Bradley preaching that like six seconds, you know, the, the Pep Guardiola kind of school of you lose possession and you have six seconds to get it back. Otherwise you collapse into your defensive shape. Would you say we saw examples of that in, in the preseason game? That kind we of. Saw a little mm-hmm. bit. It's, it's the pack hunting. It's not the whole team pressing all out all the time, but it's sort of like the two or three guys closest to it, recognizing and recognizing that the other the other team doesn't have a fully formed idea at that moment. It's it's just the way of the game right now. Yeah. Where if you give teams a chance to get into their set structures, they're gone and they'll play right yeah. through you. But if you can catch them in that little gap before things are taking shape, you have a chance of returning it back over. And, you know, 10 years ago, the game was all about those moments of transition. And now it's about the transitions from the transitions. Yeah. We're just yeah. Down Very well put. And, it's turtles all the way down, so we'll, we'll see how it sort of works out. And, and uh, it, it was a promising, it was a promising first look. You know, I, I try not to read too much into preseason, but you look for those little things, those little, the little themes that have sort of come up in the conversations we've had and, and how they're being implemented. Yeah, yeah. This is one, one thing I've been told about Bob Bradley, Jeff, as he made that point about Pep, is that he's a he's a no matter how experienced he is right now, he's he's a student of the game. Yeah, in the yeah. in the world game, um, and I know you know that I'm sure there's a lot of things he's looking at, and he's taking ideas from a lot of different clubs, and there's little things I think we'll see throughout the year at Toronto FC that we perhaps didn't see with some of his previous clubs. So, um, just something to to keep an eye on, worth keeping an eye on, and I overall like Bob Bradley. Yeah, uh, I was impressed by what how much he's impacted this group because a lot of the guys sure. that were on the pitch. They were all on the roster last year, save for you know a couple pieces there, mm-hmm. and it looks like a completely different team, albeit yep. against the Chicago Fire without their star designated player in Jordan mm-hmm. Shakiri. So, one of the worst, if not the worst, team in Major League Soccer um, <laughs> on a <laughs> crazy—I mean, it's reality on a windy, mm-hmm. hailey day, rainy day. Um, so take that again with a grain of salt, but I, I did like his ideologies kind of coming through into, into this team, despite, I believe what a lack of, of full talent, at least on the squad right now. Yeah, this is very much an aside, but, um, James used the term pack hunting. And if you haven't seen the videos of the Dutch national team from, I think it's like the seventies, they play their pressing style where all 11 guys go after the guy with the ball and like (laughs) send in the craziest tackles, please, please. Pause the show. You can come back to it. <laughs> Go watch those. You know what? You you owe TFC Live a link in a tweet later. Yeah, next, yeah. So. Maybe maybe so, I'll yeah. send that out later. Because, yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's incredible. And I, I yeah, that's that that was soccer at its pure. What what did we think about the pause? Oso first half double free roll pivot of attacking excitement. 
I, th I think that's what you sort of need and want in that part of the pitch. Like guys, guys, and you know, we saw a little bit of it from Bradley under Armist last year, and Bradley's been chained to the front of the back four for for far too long, given his skill set. And you hope as guys spend more and more time playing together, that understanding of who's going and when to go, and guys being able to get rest and cover ground for each other. Hmm. You know, those three have played together for a long, long time now, and, and you know, pause is supposedly fit and you know bob has asked him to be more responsible defensively that's one of the things that's come down come out in these conversations and you know we saw pause has been such a hard guy to get a read on because that first year he came here he, he was fantastic but he had like 187 matches under his yeah in the yeah, yeah. Year. and then last year that all you know sort of broke down and, and he had his injury troubles and he had his off-field issues and so you know where where is this season going to see him we don't quite know what what you're going to get from him but he's Truth. a he's a he's a baller he can he can take care of both sides of the ball there one of the first one of the first plays that i remember him making was giving a giving the ball away very terribly at the edge of the opponent's box and running back 60 yards to make the tackle at the top of tfc's box yep. to make up for his own mistake and so i know it's a work in progress with those three and, and you know they got a, a lot of young legs that come in and do minutes and we'll talk about you know ralph Prizo getting back out there and yep. looking looking sharp and all that sort of thing but those three are going to be really important pieces for tfc this year i actually think that's not something he gets a lot of credit for james is his ability to win the ball back or put pressure um because obviously pause is is, is crazy skilled um, in a number 10 role, you don't necessarily see that kind of bite from, from a number 10 that plays this type of style that pause plays. Yep. But when he is uh, motivated there, he's a guy who can apply a lot of pressure and, and do a lot of work in that midfield. You don't really give him credit for too often. So I, I like how you pointed that out. And if we can see some of that at a pause this year, I know Bob Bradley will be a big fan of that. And I'm sure TFC fans would as well, because that's what this team needs right now in the midfield. Cause no offense to, Michael, who does an amazing amount of work there in the midfield, he's he's getting up there in age. And yeah, yeah. if there's one question mark, I think, about the midfield specifically last year is you got caught in transition a bit too often because there's a lot of ground that you were asking them to kind of make up. And having someone like Paws there does actually help um, when he is uh, healthy and fit and capable of running for, for long stretches of the match. So... I overall I like them together. Um, this is guys who've played together now for years, albeit now yeah. it'll be a kind of a different sort of system, a different role, but they know each other. And I I like the way that Paws linked up with Jimenez. I like the way Jimenez linked up with the entire team, actually. I thought yeah, he fit in damn. really nicely, connected a lot of the dots, and of course his goal was was really well taken. So up top, I, I thought there was a lot of positive and in the midfield again, positive, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Poswell has been that frame of reference for the attack for most of his time here just because Josie's been injured. Ios had his injury troubles. True so, enough. I mean, when he first came over from Belgium, he was kind of advertised as a bit of a deeper playmaker, right? Like he Truth. played a bit of a more of an eight role than a 10. Um, and we saw that in his first couple of games, like James mentioned, where he played more of a defensive style and put in a bunch of tackles and that sort of thing. And that that's certainly like uh, as much as Mike was saying, like he does do that more than I think we give him credit for. Like that certainly has slowly come out of his game a little bit, but part of that is just because he hasn't really had players in front of him to do the, <laughs> the, the like major Truth. attacking role. So 
uh, at that <laughs> point, he's being relied on fully to, to be their frame of reference for the attack. And this year, you know, that's not necessarily going to be the case in the same way. He can kind of let some of that running and some of the other things that are the attacking players are relied to do um, go to other players. Like you mentioned, Jimenez, obviously Insigne when he gets here, um, some of the other guys that, that are in and around the club right now. So I think uh, there's more of an opportunity that we see defensive pause this season. And I think that's going to be a massive positive for Toronto FC <laughs> to keep using the positive. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, let, let's get to, let's get to your guy, Mitch, because you tweeted out like 20 seconds into the game <laughs> that you'd only seen Carlos Salcedo in a TFC shirt for about 20 seconds. And you're, he's already your favorite player. Um, can I cue it by getting Nathan's question here? He's saying, are you comfortable with the CB situation? Mavinga, Soseldo, O'Neill, and McNaughton. Is that enough? Mitch, take it away. I mean, look, he. I saw him play a pass with the right, and then he switched the ball over and played a pass with his left, and I don't think we've had a Toronto FC center back that's been able to do that in <laughs> maybe ever, honestly, in, in that way. Um, yep. look, there, there was some so... error passes. There was some, uh, yeah, there was some disconnects, certainly, but just that raw technical ability, I think, from the back line is something that's going to be a game changer for Toronto FC and um, is something that's going to make them so much more dangerous. Again, when we're talking about this team being quicker and more vertical, they haven't really had that player that can build out of the back for for seasons Truth. now. And Truth. now they have that player. And I think yeah, certainly on the attacking side, that makes them way more dangerous. Um, am I comfortable with the center back situation as a whole? I need to see more. Um, like James was saying in, in his round of the game, they did break down a lot. There was a lot of yeah, a lot of like pretty bad defensive errors, and I think especially in the second half with Magnaughton and, and O'Neill, um, there was there was some concerns there in terms of getting beat for pace and, and yeah. losing guys and that sort of thing. So it it remains to be seen, but I think it's unquestionably better, and there's there's a lot more potential there within within the group that exists now to to do what Toronto FC needs and to, to keep more, you know, certainly keep more clean sheets. And, and I mean, <laughs> they, they have a pretty low bar here in terms of what they need to improve on. Um, the team, uh, <laughs> the team was, was not great as a whole defensively last season. So um, yeah, I think, I think decent first, I mean, again, they got a clean sheet in that, that first preseason game, but uh, some of the other preseason scores that have been coming out have been, um, less pretty, than uh, clean sheety, yeah, yes. less than clean yes. sheety. So, yeah, I, th- I think certainly this this is looking more 2015 than 2017 at the at the moment, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. I like uh, I like what you said there about Salcedo and his ability to kind of move the ball. Um, and I, another thing I'll add is Omar Gonzalez was in that position last year, and you want to talk about an upgrade like that's a significant upgrade, <laughs> and one of the. Our, biggest vulnerabilities last year was getting caught down that right flank because yep. Richie Larea loved to love to dart forward and that would often leave Omar Gonzalez making up a lot of ground which he wasn't great at at this point in his career but also like he was left in 1v1s often and I'm way more comfortable with Carlos Salcedo tracking out to the the wing if he needs to to kind of shut down an attack coming down that side or um or taking someone on one v one and defending it comfortably than than I was Omar Gonzalez and way more comfortable with Salcedo at the ball at his feet, as you mentioned yeah. there, Mitch. I I was really impressed by his ability to move the ball quickly with both of his feet. Like he, no matter how great the ball was looking, the touch was looking, 
Um, he made a strong, comfortable pass uh, in uncomfortable spots, which is something that isn't necessarily an easy skill uh, to, to, I guess, perfect here in Major League Soccer. Am I comfortable with uh, the TFC center back situation? Hey, what I'll tell you guys is TFC is not comfortable with that that center back position. <laughs> so you guys can read between the lines there. I've I've mentioned it on this show in the past, uh, the players that they are after, and nothing's changed from when I mentioned it about a month and a half ago. So fans of the show, that one's for you guys. You guys know what I'm talking about, and that's all I'll say there. Yeah, one thing I will James? say as well about Salcedo mm-hmm. before we get to James is uh, like while he gave the ball away at at least you know a decent amount, I didn't think there were too many dangerous giveaways. Like the balls that he gave away were like long balls to the wing where yes, they got picked Fair. off, but they weren't coming straight back down Toronto FC's throat. Like they weren't these yeah, yeah. terrible hospital passes up the middle that we've seen Toronto FC play way too many times in recent <laughs> years. Um, so I think I think he was at least somewhat smart about uh, you know even if probably played more long balls than he needed to and that sort of thing. He, he wasn't playing these ridiculously dangerous balls that uh, have cost Toronto FC in the past. But James, Truth. your thoughts on, I guess, Salcedo or anything? <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is the least like scientific assessment I could possibly give you guys, but some players just look good out there. You know what I mean? Like they look yeah. They no, look that's good. yeah, yeah. They look commanding. They look assured. Mm-hmm. And you know, we saw that in Omar at times, especially that first season. He was he was here. Truth. But it, it was gone last year, and, and Toronto always looked like they were unsteady in that place. And you know, a couple minutes into Salcedo's first appearance, that we get to see, and, and he's already barking at guys, and he's telling people where to be, and he's orchestrating at the back and. You know, I think it's pretty clear that with him, TFC have stiffened their spine a little bit. And yep. that's, mm-hmm. that's you know, what you want. We saw him, you know, wherever the ball was, he was engaged in what was happening. He was, he was as I said, orchestrating things. And, and I think that's going to be important with the young fullbacks we have back there and with all the moving Absolutely. pieces that we have. But along with what I, what I mentioned about Josie was he, he had presence out there, you know, and, and you could sort of feel how – how the rest of the team could could relax a little bit knowing that he was there. We saw Michael Brad, you know, I'm sure Michael appreciates having somebody like him behind him. And then the effect that that can have on Chris Mavinga, you know, Chris has always been yep. a guy that excels when he's, when he's focused on doing what he does best and he doesn't have to worry about the moving pieces around him. And with a guy like Salcedo so there, true. Chris can just focus on being Chris and, and everything else will sort of fall into place. And so that's, you know, like you said, there were a couple of bad giveaways, nothing too dangerous. There was a, a bit of a tackle there where it looked like he hurt his knee. So hopefully TFC's, you know, injury yeah. problems did not come back to rear their heads. But from from what I saw in that first 60 minutes, he, he answered a lot of the questions that the team had. Now, stru- like structurally as the core defensive group, I think there's still a lot more work to do there, both at the center back positions and the fullbacks. And we don't really know quite what Bob wants this team to look like. You know, they've been in a back four as far as we could tell for all these preseason matches, but whether a back three comes into play, if, if that's necessary, then we'll sort of see as the season goes on. But yeah, I think uh, I'd expect there to be more movement on that back line. And, and before, you know, maybe not anytime soon, but before the season's done, before we really get a look at what this Bob Bradley team is going to look like, there's a lot more work to be done in a lot of areas on the roster. It's going to be a fun summer, James. It's, yeah, it's going to so be a fun summer. When I, here, uh, when I walked away, 
when I walked away from that first press conference with Bob Bradley, I was just thinking like, you know, it, it hadn't been a lot of fun to cover TFC for the for the previous nine or ten months. And, and mm-hmm. we walked away from the BMO training ground. I was just like, I don't know what's gonna happen, but this is gonna be fun. Yeah. fun to talk about. Yep. It's gonna be fun to watch and it's it's uh it's gonna be fun to learn, you know, every coach that comes in you sort of you learn a little bit more about the game and it, it's gonna be fun learning, you know, under by watching what, what Bob does with these fucking players. And it looks like the looks like the players are having fun too. Like one thing I wanted to mention quickly is like, um, and again, this is us covering training camp from you know however many miles away. So um, we're reading into this stuff more than usual. But like you see Salcedo posting on Instagram with all the other TFC players. Like you see the camaraderie that seems to be developing, and there's a certain um, departed Toronto FC player that you didn't see that very much with, um, who you might have. <laughs> replaced in a direct swap so i think stuff like that already is is a good sign i know it's not uh it's not everything but i do think it is a good sign that he's integrating well into this group that he seems to be a player that that is well liked within the group and that's going to be important because he's a very very crucial player to how toronto FC season goes as a whole uh, mike you had a point though yeah one more thing i want to mention on the cell side is as james kind of talked about as mavinga can kind of play his own game with with salcedo back there Salcedo also buys you some time um, with with these, some of these young fullbacks. You can perhaps afford to deploy a Jaquil Marshaluti at right back because you have Salcedo there covering, as opposed to to Omar uh, last year, who you probably didn't feel very comfortable with him um, in that sort of role. So Salcedo does give you that flexibility, and as I mentioned, he buys time. So there's a there's a lot more moves that are going to be coming down the pipeline when it comes to TFC and. If you can get to the summer window, which I know is, is something that this team is aiming for, especially with the arrival of Lorenzo Insigne and then a, and a couple other guys, then you're sitting in a, a very good spot. So it's a good start. Can this team do it? I guess moving on to kind of another note here we have on our rundown, are, are we comfortable with where this team is at heading into the start of the season? That's uh, <laughs> where I'm at. That's exactly where I'm at. I, like I liked what I saw a lot, mm-hmm. but can they do it against a New York City FC, for example, or can they do it against the New York Red Bulls with with the New York Red Bulls kind of pressing and and bringing in some of the other guys that they brought in? Or there's a lot of teams that are improving now, and I wonder what TFC will look like and what position they'll look like in the summer. So. It, it's going to be an improved side, I think is what I'll say. Can they get there? I'm not sold yet. I think I think my thing is, I mean, we every year you go into a season with a lot of unknowns. Mm-hmm. This year for Toronto FC, what do you know? <laughs> like, what do we know? <laughs> no, nobody messes with the Jesus. Well That's what we know. <laughs> <laughs> do we know which Bradley we're getting? Like, like even the players that have been here for a long time, like have Very been fair. up and down the past couple of seasons. Do we know when IO is coming back? Like mm-hmm. there's just so many questions and there's not very many things that we can almost bank on going into this mm-hmm. season. So I think that's what it is so tricky about this roster is like on paper. Sure. It looks pretty good, but who knows what the heck Toronto FC side we're getting this year. We don't even know what style they're going to play because the coach is completely new. So there's, this is the most like unknown 
Toronto it's 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 crazy. I don't I don't know if you've been looking at the chat, but I've been trying to find a way to work in the Westberg versus Bones debate, and now we've got new boy who like stood on his head for <laughs> for so it's like <laughs> let's let's put him in. So I mean now now you know we started last season with with two number one keepers, and now we seem to have three. So oh, you know there there we there. go. Um, do we want to talk the keeper? Or do we want to talk uh, Jesus? Do we want to talk about Jesus? What do we want to Let's do Let's talk next? keepers. Let's do it. Yeah, sure. Let's do it because I know a lot of people have been asking for that. And how how is this guy? How was he the pool keeper? He's amazing. <laughs> I mean, very small sample size. Grand. Very, very small <laughs> size. Again, against the. He's the, the best keeper yeah. I've ever seen. All this, right. This, let's let's qualify this as against it was against the second half of a team that Michael Singlebel is one of the worst in MLS, like the second half roster. So uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think. Yeah, Ranjit Singh is some great assurance, something they haven't had for the last two years at that number three keeper spot, maybe even prior to that. Um, so I, I do really like the signing in case someone does go down. Number one for me this year, just got taken a stab at it. I got to say Quentin Westberg. Um, I think he's more in line with, with the type of game that Bob Bradley wants to play. And Bob Bradley is someone who likes keeping the ball and I think Quentin Westberg can can do that, and he can also pick a pass. Obviously, as we've talked about so much, um, he can pick a pass that gets you going in transition. And when you have someone like Lorenzo Insigne, and and on the other side, someone like DeAndre Kerr or Dayton Nelson, kind of shifting over, that that part's exciting. Um, I I still think Alex Bono really does struggle with that. I thought he struggled with it on on Saturday's match once again. I don't think yep. there's there's been much movement there, much improvement um, from the last couple seasons with his distribution. And both these guys are very good keepers. Uh, so I think that small factor just, I think Westberg wins out because of that. Well, what I will say before, before um, we go to James here, I think, I think with this Toronto FC side, and again, we're, we're learning a little bit more about it, but I do think there's a little less need for a super technical goalkeeper because they just do have more technical players along the back line. Like you just Truth. need to make that like Danny just said ten, that in the chat. Yeah, Danny ten, just said the same thing. Oh, there thing. you go. Perfect. Yeah, you just need to make that ten foot pass to Mavinga or Salcedo or Jaquil Marshall Ruti and, and there's like they can do the rest from there, which Toronto FC didn't have last season. So um I do think that's that's at least part of the the equation. But uh, James, I do want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I I, I agree with you both like in in terms of it's still the same case of westberg is better with his feet and and bono i don't know if you could say he's a better shot stopper but we saw a couple goals last year that that quentin would have liked to have had back in terms of mm-hmm. in terms of giving up softer ones and you know a lot of that you know goals are never exclusively the fault of the goalkeeper so it's i don't relish the fact that we're going into another year where we don't know who the number one goalkeeper is and now as you guys say number three comes in and he shows himself very well you know greg randjitsen came on my radar back when he was playing with louisville city fc in, in us oh, wow. I mean, he led that team to two to two like back-to-back championships and stood on his head and i saw you know i'm not going to claim that i watch a ton of usl or anything like that but tfc2 was in that league back then and, and I caught a little bit of that playoff run, and he was he was a big time player. You you sort of disappear as a goalkeeper when you go into that that MLS pool role, and you know he initially signed, I think it was with Philly, and bounced around to a couple of different clubs. And if there's one thing that we've seen in this league and with North America, it's that it, 
there's a lot of goalkeeping talent. And sometimes these guys don't Truth. get their chance. They don't get their chance to get a run of games together until they're, they're you know, 28, 29, 30, whatever it is. And so, you know, if we're looking back in three years and, and he's a starting keeper, I wouldn't be stunned. And you can't have wow. enough of those guys in the club adding adding to the competition being a, a useful piece for for the first team for the second team like we have no idea how a lot of this is going to shake out but it's just a it's a nice addition and it's, a, it's always a good story when a hometown guy gets a chance to come out and, and play for the club as well one of those teams he spent time on james last year was lafc and that was that was with bob bradley and that's what bob bradley said when he was asked about him he uh he said that he got to know the guy and the biggest thing that stood out to him was how much he wanted to be here in, in Toronto. Hmm. And it's, it's a nice story. If you, you follow them on, on any social medias, they're very um, active on it. They have some nice vlogs out there as well and very personable people. So you get it, not only a, someone who wants to be here, but you get a good person. And by hmm. all accounts so far, someone who could definitely stop a ball or, or two. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Um, and play, you know, a very big role potentially for TFC two or their next pro team, or even step up to the first team if called upon. So, very nice addition, I think, overall from that third keeper spot, which doesn't often. I mean, it was Kevin Silva the last couple of years, so that tells you all you need to know there. <laughs> wow, unnecessary. Wow. It sounded like. Let's. Yeah, I think we have a couple more things in a rundown here. Mm-hmm. non-Toronto FC here so did anyone have any last thoughts on on TFC is you know we get set for the season that's looming I mean uh uh we're we not going to talk about Jesus I think we're contractually obligated to at least uh at least discuss that that nice goal and 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 his, his you know his his sort of enthusiasm I think he's definitely an upgrade on Terrence Boyd so there's that <laughs> we'll see nobody wants to talk about be. Jesus We'll mm-hmm. see when the first penalty attempt comes around. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, he's a bit of an unknown to me, you know. Like, uh, I can't say that I watch a whole lot of Polish football or that I was familiar with, you know, the third division in Spain or wherever it was that he came out of back uh, back before he made that move. But, you know, that first impression, and granted it was pretty small, was, was very tidy, you know. Um, it was a real... I mentioned before that I don't know how intentional that touch from Pozuelo was to put the ball yeah, on his feet, but, but the sharpness from a striker to sort of collect the ball in his radius and, and turn and put that in the back of the net. How many times have we seen somebody have a half chance like that and just mm. whiff terribly? And so that yep. sort of that sort of clinical clinical ability bodes well for a team that's going to put a lot of balls into those dangerous spots this year. So I really like that. I didn't see a ton and part of this is just preseason. You know, we don't get the the benefit of replays and the camera angles are what they are. I didn't see as yeah. much of the interplay as I would like or as much of his, his mm. probing runs to the back line, which is something that Bob has talked about a lot, his ability to, to read when to check to the ball or when to push him behind and all that sort of stuff. But that'll all come with time. And, you know, given he'd spent, what, five days with the team, I think it's a, yeah, pretty, truth. it's a, it's a pretty nice, you know, debut cameo for, for the guy. So... And by all accounts, he's a he's a good guy. Our our first conversation with him, Mike, was uh was entertaining. I must say, he's uh 
<laughs> the trans the translated interviews are always a little bit difficult there's those little interactions in between the questions where you can sort of get the slightest glimpse of, of what a guy is like and he seems like a good a good guy so that's that's all good and, and uh you know you need the you need somebody to bang in the goals for you while we don't know where what iowa status is and yeah so he's it looks like he's going to be a nice addition yeah, yeah. I- Go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, no, just building off what James said, he seems like he's he's a very good person and someone who teammates definitely like. And that's something that uh, that wasn't always evident last year uh, with this group of players. And I think they've made a, a purpose of going out and, and seeking out players who will definitely fit in culturally with this team. And he seems to check that box. But more than that, he... He's a very good player. Like this, nice. this guy is especially when you're looking at an MLS kind of caliber. Um, he, he's he could be a starting striker in, in this league, nice. from my early impressions. And he's someone who this team hasn't really had a lot of. He can do it all. Like he can drop down, drop back, and, and link up within the midfield if he needs to. He can press if he needs to. I, I noticed one of the things that really stood out to me is how much he moves, how much movement is there with with Jesus, and he pl- applies a lot of pressure and he's willing to make those runs. And I thought that was really great. And of course he has the finishing touch, which is always crucial in your number nine. So I, I loved what I saw from him. I think this could be a very valuable signing. I know TFC, uh, they invested a lot into him and hopefully uh, he pays, pays dividends and it's so far so good. One goal in, in one match. Yeah. We joke about Terrence Boyd, but I do think that's actually important. Like again, the first impression Toronto FC fans got of Terrence Boyd was him skying a penalty and he just never looked the same confidence wise. So I know it's a preseason game and I know it's all those things, but to get your first goal for the club that early and that quick, like that's, that's got to build confidence for yeah, absolutely. now. Like, you know, he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. That's, that's, you know, not, not a concern for him. He's got his goal. I know it's not an MLS play, but it's still, he's still found the back of the net for TFC. So um, I do think, yeah, striking, striking, performance is so much confidence based that that is such an important thing for for him to have done already um let's move on to our last mm-hmm. few topics and another big one um the canadian or yeah the canadian premier league champions forge fc no they're not even no no oh, wow no they were uh, <laughs> league wow that's how they got yeah, in yeah there you go i'm not used to not saying forge is the the Canadian Premier League champions, but anyway, they, they did sign two of the champions. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah they basically yeah. the same roster now in Terry Campbell and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ali Hadjab before. But yeah, tomorrow at eight PM, Cruz Azul are coming to town. Uh, Tim Horton Stadium had quite a good couple weeks in terms of the, the matchups that have been there. Um, round of sixteen, the Concacaf Champions League, unquestionably the biggest game in the club's history, and. Cruz Azul considered one of the favorites, honestly, in in this year's competition. Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned some of the signings there that they've made. Another big one, obviously, former Toronto FC man, Ashton Morgan, who has plenty of CONCACAF Champions League experience and is going to be very much relied upon to be a leader in that side. This one's super exciting. I mean, for Canadian soccer in general, the, the chance to see one of our clubs, <laughs> truly our club, go up against, uh, you know, one of the giants of, of CONCACAF and one of the giants, honestly, in, in world soccer and, and Cruz yep. Azul and... Uh, I mean, you know, uh, certainly it would be an uphill battle for them to win this, but <laughs> it's it's going to be fun regardless. Uh, that 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 uh, yeah, that match is going to be something special. Truth, truth, yeah, aggregate Kansas, too. 
Canada's had a lot of pretty big soccer moments over the past couple of years. You know, I've been Truth. I've been following this game for a long time, and, and you'd be hard pressed to find a, a three year period where there have been so many momentous days that just make you go like, "Wow, is this actually happening for for us and for this game right now?" And so, you know, this is just another one of those moments where CPL club is taking on Liga MX opposition in the Concacaf Champions League, and that's just you know that's just a Wednesday night nowadays in this new. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, Forge in, in the Concacaf League showed themselves really well. I don't think any of us really knew. You know, you can when a league comes about, you see how the teams play against each other, but you don't really know how they're going to fare against other opposition until they get the chance to. And you know, Forge went into some really difficult situations and, and they acquitted themselves well and, and the reward for that is is what's going to be two pretty epic nights in the history of this young club and you now they've got a strong core to that side which is largely intact you know they re-signed Dom Samuel and they re-signed Alex Echinoli Johnson whose last mm-hmm. name I always have to take extra special care to <laughs> properly. Uh, that was you fun know, to losing, watch you not yeah <laughs> <laughs> losing uh Mobabuli and, and Kwame Rua are, are big losses but as you mentioned uh you know a couple of additions from Pacific Ashton Morgan a guy who you know I'll never forget him taking the field against the Rabe Unido at BMO Field in, in 2010 <laughs> yep. or whatever it was and, uh it's it's going to be fun and, and that's all you sort of want from these games uh, the CONCACAF midweek games have always been some of my favorite nights and so uh we get we get to prepare ourselves for a couple more and and yeah you know it's a it's a pretty big task to to host Cruz Azul and then go into Azteca but you know Bobby Smirniotis has, has had these guys do things that have, have surprised us before so I'm just going to watch it and enjoy and uh, yep. you know, yep. not have any preconceived notions about how it's going to go. But what a night, man. What a night. Well, here, here's a little thing to kind of push you in, in a positive direction here, James, is whenever you see a matchup like this, me personally, and it's a, it's a monumentous matchup, especially when, let's face it, Forge is coming in as, as heavy, heavy, heavy underdogs. I like to look at the weather forecast. <laughs> and the weather forecast for tomorrow is we're actually getting we're getting a little bit of a heat wave i think it's supposed to be something like six or seven degrees but it is pouring rain Ooh. could they do it on a, in a rainy night in the hammer <laughs> at tim horton's field we're gonna Kinda find out yeah. we'll, we'll find out exactly and then obviously the the big one in a couple of weeks or next week is the uh matchup at the Azteca. And that's uh, the place that TFC knows very well. TFC fans know very well. And now let's see how Forge handles that environment because it's going to be a lot more raucous than than what TFC last experienced yep. there and with what the men's national team even last experienced there. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be fun. Let's put it that way. It's going to be a lot of fun for for Forge FC fans. So many Canadians are going to be up on pictures in that hallway now. <laughs> It's yeah. <laughs> like we're just we're just invading that 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 hall of heroes. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a mountain they got to climb. No no one is mincing words there. But never count this team out, man. Every time every time someone tries to count to count this team out, they do the impossible. So at this point, you just sort of buckle up and and watch and and expect sh- something shocking to happen. Uh, so yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah. Also worth noting, of course, CF Montreal, the Canadian champions. I didn't stumble over that one. Uh, begin their uh, CONCACAF 
campaign. That's tonight at 10 p.m. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're they're headed to Santos Laguna for the first leg in that one. So that's that'll certainly be a tricky one. Uh, a club that certainly Toronto FC knows knows very well from uh, from some past Champions League experiences. And um, yeah, that'll be a fun one to watch as well. How Montreal can can fare in this Champions League and and build off what they were able to do um, last season, which was you know an upward season for them under Wilfred Nancy. So. Um, two two more good matches to watch before we even get to the the MLS uh, regular season as a whole. So very much uh, very much excited for those. And speaking of big matches, a number of them coming up for a women's national yeah, team. Um, again, it's been it's been a lot of men's national team in in recent weeks, considering you know the awkward trajectory and all the incredible things they've done in World Cup qualifying. But uh, we all know the women's national team are very much deserving of the spotlight and have led the way in this country for so many years. And again, they're going to go up against some of the best in the world over the next couple of weeks, beginning on Thursday against an English national team they know very well. Sunday, they head to Carroll Road and play the Germans and then wrap things up at the Molyneux against Spain next Wednesday. Um, Amazing. We'll have more talk on this, uh, certainly on next week's show. But uh, James, your thoughts on this camp as a whole and Canada getting the chance, uh, you know, as a... Uh, I guess reigning Olympic champions to uh, test themselves against some of the best in the world. Yeah, I, I think this is a really important time for that for the women's national team program in terms of you know something that Bev said herself after the, after the Olympic gold was that that success came a little bit earlier than they had sort of anticipated. They all they all knew that that there was there were some steps forward to take with this team and and to have it happen so quickly, you have to ask yourself how do you respond. Or something like that you know canada is going to be the team that every that every country is sort of looking at and going that they have what we want and so how canada both manages to take the steps internally that they need to do while fending off the pressure that that spotlight brings is going to be a fascinating thing to watch with this team absolutely and, you know we've seen a lot of these little cup tournaments over the years and, and often there's one or two good teams so for canada to sort of you know, kick off this next chapter against, you know, three fellow top 10 teams in the world. It's, it's a, you always want to test yourself and it's a, it's a big couple of years ahead. I know the CONCACAF women's championship is coming up this summer and then the Olympics aren't too far ahead. So there's a, it, it's always funny. The, um, you know, the next challenge awaits right after the last trophy is handed out. And so how Canada adapts to this situation, uh, you know, under under Bev and, and how they go forward is going to be what I'm looking for from these games. How does that continue to develop? And without Sinclair, we all know she'll miss this. It's pretty much the roster that we all would have expected. A couple True. of younger names sprinkled in there. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It should be three uh, pretty epic nights. And who doesn't love a football match in uh, in England for, uh, for these women to, to get that experience in front of those crowds? It's going to be great. Absolutely. I'm excited to watch Dan Rose and Mm -hmm. she's been, she's been balling out and I want to see how much she's evolved since the last time that that we, we saw her on the national stage and she'll be probably putting the spotlight there with with Sinclair out. I know she was, she was a big focus of Canada's attack at the Olympics and even more so now with uh, their talisman out there. And another thing that you kind of touched on was, was the talent that they're going up against. That's something Bev Priestman has made a, a point of is putting this women's national team against the world's best, ensuring that they're in these competitions yep. so that leading up to the CONCACAF championship and, and also Olympic qualifying that they're playing against the team at the world's best, because that's, that's what they want to, 
they want to up their level and make sure that they can compete. They know what they're up against. They're competing against the, the world's best here heading into those tournaments. And it worked very well heading into the Olympics, obviously, when they came away with the win. So I, I like yeah. the the way that Bev is preparing them. And we'll see, as James said so elegantly, how they'll respond after their Olympic triumph. Yeah, the Dean Rose shout is a great one because that's a player who fairly consistently stepped up for Canada in these big moments, obviously scored a goal in the bronze medal game against uh, Brazil all those years ago. And let's not forget, she was the one who won that penalty that uh, Canada converted against the United States. So uh, that, that's a player who uh, I think certainly, like Mike said, is taking the next step and now playing at the pro level and, and playing at you know, a very high level. Um, now those abilities, we'll see how they translate uh, with a bigger role on this national team, but I think we'll call it there guys. Um, James, thanks so much for joining us. For this entire <laughs> show. That's, that was awesome. Getting, uh, you know, some good preseason insights and, and everything else. So always, I love these excited. round tables, man. I love them. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, my pleasure. Everyone. Anytime. I always look forward to, to chatting some footy with you gentlemen. So appreciate it, James so much. And thank you to everyone for all your questions, comments uh, throughout the show in the chat. Uh, some great banter this week. And uh, on behalf of James Grossi, Jeffrey Pinesker, and Michael Singh, I'm Mitchell Tierney. Till next Tuesday. Uh-huh.